The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Thanks, guys. Well, a great start. You may be seated and join me in prayer. Father, we praise you for your glorious grace, grace given to us in the many blessings and enjoyments of life, and most of all for your grace in giving us to your son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of faith, for your spirit who's opened our eyes to the reality of who Jesus really is and how he has loved us. Jesus, we give you thanks. Lord, please help us to desire to grow in our love for you, a love that that struggles against sin and follows your commands. Thank you for sending another helper. Help us now as we consider your word. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we're still in John chapter 14. You can turn there if you want, but primarily our focus is on verse 15. So let me just read that, but uh, yeah, go ahead and open your Bibles and stay there and think through this chapter with me. But here's God's word. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Well, as you can see, we have a a tank with water set up, And um, we're going to be doing a couple of baptisms after the sermon. I hope you will recognize this is not just a personal uh, deal for those who are being baptized. This This is a family event. This is a church family event. So be a part of it. Rejoice in the promise of God as we witness this as brothers and sisters in Christ, those who belong to his church. God's given us two sacraments. One is communion, which we do, it's our practice anyway, we, we do it often, we do it twice a month. And then the second is baptism. Baptism, which is really only, only to be done once. Only to be done once, because in baptisms, it's not so much about us making some commitment or promise to God, but instead we witness the promise of God that he makes to us in the new covenant. And we identify with Christ, with his death, with his resurrection. So baptism, it's a sign that points to this reality of the promise of God. And repeating it really is unnecessary because it's God who is faithful to his promise. So these baptisms, they're a huge blessing, not only to the ones being baptized as they They identify with Christ, looking in faith to God's new covenant promise to us. But it's also a church event and a church blessing because we are in community together. We are called to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's not simply this personal act of obedience, but a corporate covenantal family event that we too can rejoice in the promise of God together. Now, in 
going to give you a little background on me. In my personal experience, I have to say that as a child and then, and then even into my teen years, that my greatest fear was having to get up in front of people. And certainly even worse would be having to say something. And because of this fear, I delayed in getting baptized at a Baptist church nonetheless. So I, I emphasize or, or, or I, I empathize with any young person or even fearful adult who is hesitant for that reason. And if this is you, I want to encourage you to put your fears aside because baptism is about God's promise to you in Jesus. And there's nothing better than being identified with him. It's a blessing and it's a command. Do you love Jesus? If you do and you haven't been baptized, then let me tell you some more about my, my own experience. When I was around, I forget how old I, I think I was around 19 or 20, I, um, I was really growing in my walk with the Lord. I was really growing in my love for Jesus at that. I was owning my faith. It was a precious time in my life, and I read some, I was reading some book, it wasn't on baptism, but at some point it touched on it, and it brought it back to my love for Christ, and if we love Jesus, we will obey him, and I was like, wow, I've been disobedient, I need to get baptized, and, and I certainly love Jesus and want to be identified with him. And so I realized that if I really do love Jesus, then why wouldn't I be identified with him? How could I say that I love him and yet directly disobey him? So if your experience is like mine, if you're making this about yourself and you're disobeying your Savior, Jesus, who was publicly shamed on a cross for you, then then I'm going to be blunt. You need to get over yourself. You need to... Get over any fear, and out of love, obey Jesus. And, okay, that sounds a little bit like a guilt trip, or maybe a lot like a guilt trip. I don't know. But this is the reality. And what better application of Jesus' teaching to us in John 14, that if we love him, we will obey him. So if you're, if you're convicted by this, please uh, Don't let your motive be guilt. Let your motive be love. Let your motive be love for Jesus. If we love our Savior, if we love our Lord, we will do as he commands. And if this is you, then then let's talk. Let's talk about baptism. Let's let's plan for another uh, upcoming opportunity. We'd love to set this up again in a month or two, if that's you. So uh, today we're going to baptize two. But, um, again, we'd be thrilled to set this up again if there are more of you who, who would like to be baptized. So, again, Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When you think of love, or maybe the best kind of love, do you think of it as being unconditional? Parents, for example, who no matter what will always love their children regardless of what they may do. And when it comes to our faith, we we think of grace, that God would 
choose to love us in Jesus, not because we met some qualification, not because we're, we're good people who did good works and thus earned his love, if that were even possible, which it's not, but that he, he graciously chose us. He graciously, graciously chose to love us, that he had mercy on whom he had mercy. Think of it, God's foreknowledge, his decision to love us before the foundations of the world, his predestining choice to lovingly save is unconditional. It's God's choice. It's not based on any condition that we've met. It's, it's grace. So certainly God has loved us unconditionally, and yet he also gives us some conditions. We're not saved by election. No, our faith, our, think of it, our faith is a necessary ingredient. And so a condition of our salvation is that we have faith in Jesus, that we believe in him and trust him for the forgiveness of our sins. But even though this is a condition that we must meet, what does Ephesians 2 tell us? It tells us that it's not something that we can boast about. And the reason we can't boast about it is that even our faith is a gift of God. Even the condition that we must have um, are unconditionally or graciously given to us by God. Even our faith is a part of his grace. So there's no room for boasting. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God's grace is unconditional in that he is the one who chooses to give it to whom he determines to show mercy. We didn't influence his choice by meeting some condition, but once given, his grace creates in us a necessary and inevitable response, a condition of faith through which we are saved. Faith is not something that we muster up on our own. It's a part of his grace to us. And this recognition, it removes any possibility of boasting, of saying that, well, I've been smarter or wiser. It's the wisest decision that you could ever make. It affects your eternity. So if it was something that you mustered up, how can you not say to that unbeliever or think, what is wrong with you. I'm making the most wise decision. I'm wiser than you. That's boasting. But when we recognize that it's all of God's grace, there's no room for boasting. All that, all that to say, there's a place, there is a place for conditional love, but let's not forget the ultimate source. We are called to follow. We are called to obey to love, and yet God is the source of it all. He's the one who changes us and enables us to love him. In this 14th chapter of John, we see Jesus giving many conditions. We see it in the word if. The word if creates a conditional statement. If this, then that. In verse 3, Jesus said, If I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and will take you to myself. So Christ's return to gather us into glory is conditioned on his first departing from the earth in his ascension. In verse 7, Jesus says to Thomas, if you had known me, you would have known the Father also. So what does this tell us? It tells us that knowing Jesus is a required condition for knowing God the Father. And as I said in a previous work, Judaism rejects Jesus as the Messiah, rejects him for who he truly is. And so the the person who may think that they know God and they even worship God, but according to this conditional statement of Jesus, they don't. They don't even know God. They don't love God. In verse 14, Jesus gives a condition for acting on our behalf as we pray to him. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There are conditions here. We must ask. We must ask in his name. We must ask for the glory of God the Father. Conditions, they are a blessing in that they assure us of God's promises. We see his work in us as we desire to do these conditions that we're given. Wouldn't it be terrible? Think of it. Wouldn't it be terrible to think that you belong to Jesus, but then you realize that you never really did? One of the most terrifying statements in the Bible is found near the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, a sermon where he commands many things of his disciples. And near the end of the sermon, what does he say? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When Jesus says that they are lawless, what he means is, They didn't obey his commands. They were a law unto themselves. They did what was right in their own eyes. They, as our culture would say, followed their heart. While God's word tells us to watch out for our heart because our heart is deceitful above all things. It can fool us. And so we we need to listen to and we need to trust God's word instead of our hearts. So again, wouldn't it be terrible to think that you know God or to think that you love Jesus, but then to be told that you don't, that he didn't even know you? Terrifying. We need assurance. And we get assurance as we see these conditions that Jesus gives condition here of obedience, if we see that in our life. A reason that I bring it up is to say that conditions are wonderful. Conditions don't earn your salvation, but they assure us of a genuine salvation. Our obedience 
our obedient works, they don't earn us a certain status with God. They don't earn adoption. But certainly because they are a fruit of God's Spirit, they, they please our Heavenly Father. They help us to realize that our faith is real and that we really do know, we really do love Jesus. Now, when people think of conditions, they tend to think of law. And many will create this false dichotomy, putting conditions or law against love. When the reality is, love is not the absence of law. A worldly view of love says, if it feels good, do it. And so if someone tells me I can't do what feels good to me or seems right to me, then they would say that this person is unloving a hater. But God is love. And he defines love for us in his law. Love and law are not at odds. They actually go together. And the rejection of this truth leads to lawlessness. The Ten Commandments are all about love. The first section of the Ten Commandments tells us how to love God. The next section tells us how to rightly love people. It's all about love. We must not have a definition of love that conflicts with God's definition and standard of love. Society may think, yeah, what's the big deal telling a few harmless lies? And we should think the big deal is that it's unloving to God. God who is truth and says that he hates lying lips. We should think it's unloving to God. We should think it's unloving to people. It's unloving to deceive or misrepresent someone. The Christian faith does not teach that we are free in the sense of having to obey God's law. Jesus tells us to obey the moral law, as he summarized this, in his words, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, God, and you shall love your neighbor, people, as yourself. God summarizes the Ten Commandments with this. Love God, love people. He doesn't do away with the law. He fulfills the law. Yes, we are not saved by doing the law. We are saved because Jesus did it perfectly. And now by the power of his spirit, we are saved unto good works. And we love God and we love our neighbor as we obey what God commands. This is, what, this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. This glorifies God. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, he gives us a clear definition of the relationship between grace and works when he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then he goes on to tell us about the result of God's grace in our lives. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. They go together. P. 
people want to get off the hook by calling something legalism. The lie of legalism is that your works are the reason God loves you. That's the, that's the falsehood. And that your works maintain your salvation. That's legalism. But the truth is, those who are saved by grace will love God's law. Not for what it says about us, but for what it says about God and our response of love. How do we love God? How do we love people? Jesus did this perfectly so that we might be viewed as righteous in God's sight. And now as those who are saved, we do good works with the motive of loving God and loving people. I love how Richard Phillips put it. He said, according to Jesus, the Christian's bond of love with Jesus does not free us from keeping God's law, but frees us to keeping his commandments. If we love Jesus, that love will draw us to thoughts and actions that conform with Jesus' thoughts and actions and please him. So let's view this as being very, very personal. Because Jesus makes this personal. Moses never said to Israel, obey my commandments. But Jesus makes it personal. He says to all who believe in him, obey my commandments. Our salvation, our relationship to Jesus is personal. He died for us. He's earned the right to say directly, personally to you, to me, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And with this in mind, wouldn't it be awful to say, well, put it that way, I guess I have to. Again, no, you don't have to. You get to. You get to. You've been transformed. Well, you do have to. (laughs) But you get to. You've been changed so that it's actually possible to rightly and truly love God. The only right response for us is glad and willing and intentional expressions of thankfulness and love to him. Concerning this, Charles Spurgeon said that the essence of obedience lies in the hearty love which prompts the deed rather than in the deed itself. Love is the chief jewel in the bracelet of obedience. And think about, think about the love chapter, Paul's love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Sometimes I think we read past a portion of this and don't really think it through. In that portion, Paul says, if I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Think about that. If someone is in need and you, you sell your house and all of your possessions to help provide for them, wow, that's an amazing thing for you to do. But apparently, you could do that without love. And if you do it without the motive of love, then God, in God's economy, he says it's worthless. Or if you actually sacrifice your body to be burned, if you become a martyr, if you give your very life for someone, 
And the motive is not love. It's worthless. It actually gains you nothing. So it's not sheer works that matter, as good as they may seem. No, it's love that matters. It's love that is our motive as those who have been changed by God. God is love. And 1 John 4.19 says that we love. Why? Because he first loved us. If God, who is love, has loved us and given us his spirit, then the inevitable result will be love. Love for him, love for people. And what this looks like is obedience. And as people who continue to struggle with sin, with disobedience, yes, we all continue to struggle with sin. We all disobey. What this tells us is that one great help for us, cultivate your love for Jesus. The more that you grow in your love for Jesus, the more you'll be able to resist the sin that you're struggling with. Our love for Jesus is essential. It's at the center of our faith. It's at the center of our Christian walk. And our obedience, motivated by our love for him, it's a great assurance that our faith is real. Again, I'll refer to Charles Spurgeon who wrote, He that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation produces as the first fruit of his faith love to Christ. This must be in us and abound, or nothing is right. So when you sin, when I sin, when we fail to obey, come back to love. What Jesus' question, think of Jesus' question to Peter when he denied him and failed so miserably. He could have asked him all sorts of questions, but what did he get at? He said, Peter, do you love me? Jesus gets at the most important part of our faith, our relationship with him, and Jesus tells us how we can know whether or not we love him. He says in our text, and then again in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. More specifically, in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. His word. What is that? It's his teachings and reality. It's the entire Bible because the New Testament says that all of Scripture has to do with Jesus. But we may wonder, ah, I fail in so many ways. I continue to struggle with sin. So what does this say about my love for Christ? Are you lawless or are you struggling? There's a big difference. Are you okay with your sin or do you hate it? Do you ignore God's commands? Do you justify and even love certain sins? Or do you struggle against them and repent of them and desire to obey? Are you confessing your sins to God, trusting that he is faithful, that he is actually just in forgiving you because of the sacrifice of Jesus, that, he's, that he'll cleanse you? 
the question is not whether we sin or disobey God. The question is whether we see it for what it is. Repent of it. Struggle against our sin. And out of love for Jesus, seek his help to obey him and thus glorify him. And this applies to, you know, when we can often just think of the the big, huge sins. But this applies to all kinds of sin, not just those big, huge, obvious ones. Children, teens, God says, honor your parents. So there's no excuse for disobeying. There's no excuse for having a bad attitude towards them. Own your faith. Take Jesus at his word. There's no excuse for having a bad attitude towards your parents, even if they do seem way out of touch with reality in your life, even if their actions are even sinful towards you. Being sinned against doesn't give any of us the right to respond with sin. Do you love Jesus? God's word tells you to honor your parents. Struggling to obey this is not only about your parents, it's also about your love for Jesus. Parents are told not to provoke their children to anger. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are to be submissive, have a submissive attitude toward their husbands as the church does towards Christ. We don't obey because our parents are perfect or our children or spouse are respectable. No, we obey the word of Christ because we love Jesus. So many of us, we can make excuses for not doing directly what we're told because, well, they don't deserve it, or they're not respectable, or they so dishonor. No, it's not about them directly, specifically. It's not about, it's about our love for Jesus. There are a lot of commands given to us that seem hard, or maybe maybe we justify ourselves, maybe we even disagree with what we read. If so, struggle to understand with a humble submission to God's word. It is our authority. It is our God's revealed will for you. Struggle to obey because this is the revealed will of God. Because our love for Jesus, it's at the heart of it. And thankfully, Jesus did say more. He went on to say in verses 16 and 17, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Oh, I need help. He will give you a helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus knows our weakness. And so he gives us another helper, the Holy Spirit. And because of this, we should be hopeful. We have the Holy Spirit, his fruit being worked out in our lives. And we have the example of Jesus We have the example of Jesus as well. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We we are to love one another as Jesus loved us. And we know that Jesus was a servant. 
He took the role of a servant. He humbly washed his disciples' dirty, stinky feet, a position that many slaves would not take. And he humbled himself to be that servant. He calls us to love one another in this way, with humble service. In a church like ours, there's all sorts of opportunities as we tear down and and clean up and, and put together every week. There are lots of opportunities for you to humbly serve one another. You can serve our children in Sunday school as a teacher or as a, an assistant to the teacher. You can serve someone affected by disability as a part of our disability ministry team. You can serve burgers and dogs on a Sunday, on a lunch Sunday. You can serve the needs of others as they're expressed in prayer team emails by praying, by getting those emails and praying for them. When someone's sick, you can deliver a meal to their door. You can serve through your financial gifts and how that facilitates all the good works that are done. Jesus was their teacher and Lord, and he gives us a picture of true Christianity where we should humbly serve one another with an attitude that if Jesus washed their feet, then certainly nothing should be beneath me. Second, Jesus served. He also did so sacrificially. So what this tells us is that we shouldn't only serve when it's convenient or when it costs us nothing, not just when we feel like it. And, oh, I'm talking to myself so much here. Because when I get home, I just like being at home and getting a call to go and pray, uh, see someone in the hospital. That can be hard, right? Sometimes service is a sacrifice. And we need to remember the way in which Jesus served us and with love, desire to do the same. It's hard when we're comfortable when we've settled in, when we'd rather do something else. But Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And we know that he loved us sacrificially. So sometimes loving one another, yes, it will be difficult. But typically, after you've served someone in a sacrificial way and you're headed back home, you're like, oh, thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being a part of that. Sometimes it'll be a sacrifice. Again, we do it because we love Jesus, because he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us, because because we're being changed more and more to desire to be like Jesus. We'll begin to love as Jesus loved. We love as Jesus loved us, serving, sacrificing, and by sharing. We share ourselves with others. We don't just come to church and avoid people or stick with family. No, we're, we're called to be a part of each other's lives. God is the one who's given us spiritual gifts for the sake of loving others. So if we get, if we get hurt or if we get offended, we need to remember that Jesus was hurt and offended too. We need to serve and even do so sacrificially. And this doesn't happen in a vacuum. So if we are to love Jesus by doing what he commands, we must share what God has given to us for the sake of others. 
sharing our time and our talents and the gifts that he's given to us and sharing the best news of all, certainly, the gospel of Jesus to our neighbors, to an unbelieving world. So we have a great calling, don't we? We have a great example in Jesus, a great helper in the Holy Spirit. And it's all grace. It's all grace. God is the source. He's the one who changes and enables us. He's the one that moves us. It's a wonderful blessing to be assured of his work in our lives as we find ourselves obeying his commands. Why? Because we love him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that more and more we might resemble Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Help us to love your word, to so love and admire Jesus that we're compelled to follow him, loving you and loving people, to be humble servants, sacrificing our preferences to yours as we share your gifts, and especially the gift of salvation, the lost. Lord, help us to not view obedience as either optional or as being contrary to your grace. Instead, may we see it as a matter of loving Jesus and made possible because of your grace. We pray for your conviction, for your encouragement and assurance. Jesus, thank you for teaching us, for not leaving us to ourselves, but sending us another helper. Thank you for this opportunity now as we witness your work in the lives of those being baptized. Wow, what a privilege, what a joy to see their identification with you, Jesus, with your life, with your death and resurrection, to know the promise of God to us. We pray in your name, Jesus, for the glory of God. Amen.